This passage is taken from John 4, verses 13 to 26, and verses 28 to 29, and verse 39. It's where Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman. It reads, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. Thank you, Beth, for that reading. Great to have you on the stage and on the screen. So uh, <laughs> um, lovely to see you all this morning. I know that there's new faces here and returning faces, and it's just brilliant to have you um, back in the room. Uh, my name is Jess Bray, and I'm one of the church wardens here at St. Saviour's. Um, it's my privilege to speak to you today. Am I doing something wrong? Shall I do that? Does that help anything? Should we stand different? We're buzzing. Shout at me if you want me to do something different. Um, it's a real privilege to be here today. This is the third of our Women, in Fa uh, Women of Faith series, and we're looking at the Samaritan woman. Um, and I just want to say, before we start, that the songs that you chose, Danielle, this morning couldn't be more apt for the things that I want to talk about. So that makes me really excited that God is at work and he's doing something um, in the things that I want to say. And I'm slightly distracted by a massive cobweb that I can see attached like this. So if I kept glancing that way, it's, it's just the cobweb that's shining the light on it. So sorry about that. Margaret, if you could deal with that in a little bit later. Um, <laughs> so if you've been around church for any length of time, the chances are you'll be really quite familiar with this story already of how this woman's encounter with Jesus transforms her life. 
Now, we know from the story that she was living a life that would mean that she was condemned by others um, and had a, a, a sort of a shameful experience where she perhaps would have been cast out of her local community. And that is why she was there collecting water alone on the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, when no one else would be going to collect water. But in this moment, she has an encounter with Jesus. And his offer of living water and his revelation to her that he is the Messiah had such a transformative effect on her that she leaves her water jar and rushes back to the town in which she lives and to the people who probably most of the time would steer away from her. And she shared her story with them. And as a result of introducing people to Jesus, many people followed him. And uh, we've just heard those verses from uh, 39 to 41. Now, I don't know if any of you have watched The Chosen. It's a, 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 a series even. You have to download an app and then you can put it on your telly. But I can't recommend it highly enough to you. It's about Jesus and his disciples. And in season one, episode eight, they re, uh, retell this story of the woman at the well. And it's really hard to watch it without becoming tearful because you really get the sense of, um, of transformation and what it meant for this woman to encounter Jesus. When I was preparing this sermon, I was kind of wrestling with what the key message might be. What was the take home that I wanted to leave you with? And um, I kind of had this sense that I should be focusing perhaps more on Jesus than the Samaritan woman herself, which is why the songs this morning are just so, um, so in keeping with, with the message. Um, and I wasn't quite sure exactly how that was supposed to go. When I think back to my childhood um, in the early 80s, when I first became a Christian, I was seven years old, I have a really strong memory from that time of what it was like to be in church and to hear sermons. And it was quite popular back in those days for the preachers to adopt what you might call a fire and brimstone style of preaching. And it mostly painted God, in my memory certainly, as quite angry and vengeful and um, focused quite heavily on God as our judge. And um, I often kind of felt that maybe Preachers were just trying, trying to scare us into following God. And um, I began reading the Bible as soon as I could read. And I often found myself separating out in my mind those stories of Jesus and the kind of message of love from those about God where it seemed like he was kind of angry. Um, and they didn't seem to quite match up for me. And even a couple of years ago, when I was reading the Bible in a year and doing that um, exercise, which I'm sure many of you have done as well, I found myself struggling again with the seemingly different parts of God. On Monday night this week, I had dinner with Joya Powell-George, and she shared something with me that really struck home. She said that when she's giving assemblies in schools, she often has to present um, a Bible story. So she will, she'll give the, the Bible story, and then she'll just ask the children this question. What does this tell you about what God is like, and is it like Jesus? When we were having that conversation, I, I kind of felt that nudge that you get sometimes that this was the question that I wanted us to be asking of this story today. Today. 
Now, it says in Colossians 1.15 and 2.9 that Jesus is the full revelation of God. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says that he and the Father are one. So it stands to reason then that Jesus' words and actions in this story and all stories will also have something important to tell us about who God is and what, the God, and what God the Father is like. So I have given today's talk a little subtitle of God Crosses the Divide. So please at least hold on to that if you don't remember anything else from this morning. Um, just hold on to that and I want to look at four ways in which God crosses the divide in this story. So the first thing this story tells us is that God crosses racial divides. You may know that uh, the Jews and Samaritans were enemies. The Samaritans were people who lived in what had been the northern kingdom of Israel, and Samaria, the name of that kingdom's capital, sat between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. The Samaritans were a racially mixed society um, with both Jewish and pagan ancestry. And although they worshipped Yahweh, the same as the Jews, their religion was not mainstream Judaism. For example, they accepted the first five books of the Bible, but not the Psalms and the prophets. And their temple was on Mount Gerizim instead of on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So you might remember again, if you know any other Bible stories, that Jesus in Luke chapter 10 tells a story about a good Samaritan. And he tells this story to answer a question about who our neighbor is um, when he's, he's already expressed the love thy neighbor command. And having the Samaritan as the hero of that story and uh, rescuing a Jew would have been shocking to the audience because of the hatred between them. So when this real life story begins to play out with Jesus reaching out to this Samaritan woman and others in the small town in Samaria, which all plays out in front of his disciples, it would have been both confusing and challenging for them and their ideas about what and who is important to God. God crosses the divide of race. Secondly, in this story, God crosses gender divides. As I expect you already know, women were largely regarded as second-class citizens in the first century Roman world and seen as the property of men. Specifically, women were not allowed to take part in religious practices, or many religious practices, not all, education and aspects of public life. And in many respects, first century women had more limitations on them than Old Testament women did. And it's one of the first things that the Samaritan woman comments on when she says in verse 9 to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Of course, this is not the first time that we see Jesus crossing this divide and speaking directly to, working with, and including women in his ministry. His inclusivity would have been hard to understand for those who watched him, but it reveals God's heart for raising up women and breaking down negative gender divides. 
Thirdly, in this story, God crosses social divides. At this point in her life, the Samaritan woman is an outcast. The, t- the text in the Bible provides no more detail of her life beyond the number of husbands that she's had. And I have no doubt that it was both her actions and the actions of the men alongside her that put her in this terrible situation. But as a woman, the bulk of the shame would have lay with her. Her place in society was of isolation, loneliness, embarrassment, exclusion, and having to endure the worst of life, i.e. going to fetch water in the heat of the day. That would have been a social activity, but she was doing it alone. No one would go with her. Jesus meets her in her isolation. One of the most striking parts for me reading this is that like in the story of the woman caught in adultery in John 7, Jesus says nothing to condemn her. He does, however, start the conversation about her life by asking her to get her husband. His calm and gentle manner provokes her to speak truthfully. And then Jesus reveals to her a measure of his power because he then provides her with details that she hasn't shared with him. He doesn't emphasize her sin or tell her what she should do next. It is his demonstration of love by not condemning her that has the biggest transformative impact. It's so important that they had this conversation because if Jesus hadn't addressed it all together, then I'm sure that the enemy would have been whispering some lies into her ear that day. If he knew about you, if he knew your true story, he wouldn't be saying these things to you. But because Jesus names her shame and her pain, she has to face it. There's no more secret between them. In doing that, she becomes free to receive the gifts that he's offering her that day. And God meets us at our most desperate times, and he crosses the divide of how society says we should be treated and shows us love and compassion. Finally, and this is the biggest one for me, God crosses religious divides. In verse 10, he offers the woman living water, and by this he's referring to eternal life. Remember, at this point, she doesn't know who he is. He's just made an offer, meeting her in her brokenness, just as God wants to do with each of us. Later in the conversation, possibly uncomfortable about talking about her situation, she changes the subject and starts to ask him about worship, And again, Jesus reveals something surprising that is for all of us in 2021, just as it was for her. He says, it's not what separates them that matters, but what joins them together. He says in verses 23 to 24, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. 
Jesus is saying that we will worship God with our hearts and our minds in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit in us means that we can worship God anytime, anywhere, anyhow, but the truth part, that means that we can't hide anything from God. We can't uh, let there be a barrier in between us and him. God crosses the divide of religion to meet us in our hearts and minds. And then Jesus gives the Samaritan woman a spiritual insight that he's not given directly to anyone else. He tells her voluntarily that he is the Messiah. What an incredible honor for a shamed Samaritan woman. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13, 8. This story tells us about the same Jesus that we can have a relationship with today. The same Father God, the same Holy Spirit, the one that crosses every divide. I'd like to invite the band to come up. And um, if we had twice as long, which I recognize we don't because you want lunch, but if we had twice as long, I would love to parallel Jesus' words and actions here with how Jesus describes God in the parable of the lost son in Luke 15. But I would encourage you to read the Gospels and to keep asking yourself what um, Jesus' words and actions tell you about who God is and what he's like. Ask questions of it and be curious because I believe that God can stand up to the scrutiny of our questions. So as we enter a time of response, you might want to close your eyes or put your hands out or just quietly consider what God might be saying to you this morning. Could God be calling you to cross a divide like the Samaritan woman had to? Do you need to meet honestly with Jesus about the truth of your life? Whatever metaphorical well you might be sitting at, Jesus has come to find you. Just like the Samaritan woman, he knows your story. He will come into whatever is uncomfortable or unpleasant in your world to meet you. He's not fazed by our sin. There are no conditions to meet before you can have an encounter with Jesus. Perhaps God is asking you to share what he has already done in your life in hostile territory. Our words and the story of Jesus in our lives has power to change others. The Samaritan woman only said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She didn't attempt to explain things that she didn't understand yet, but the impact was huge and many people came to faith. Could God be calling you to cross a divide just like Jesus? 
Does he want you to move closer towards people who sit across social, racial, political, or spiritual divides to you and show them God's love? Perhaps he wants to remove the barrier of judgment in your heart so that you can genuinely share the love of God without condemnation. I believe God will be speaking to us all today about one or more of these things. So let's pray. Lord God, would you allow these truths about who you are to sink deep into our hearts this morning? Thank you that there is no divide you won't cross to reach us. In Jesus' name, amen. As the band leads us into more worship, ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you about the things he's prompting in your heart.